Well, folks, it is good to be in Tampa, Florida. I was going to say for two reasons, but really for three, because uh, that was good singing. So that was, that was going to be my number one reason. Getting up and getting to speak after uh, singing like that is so encouraging. And, and uh, we've already started celebrating this morning the good things that God has done. So hopefully I can uh, help continue that celebration. It's also good to be in Tampa because I uh, just checked the weather where I'm from. It's 32 degrees and kind of nasty. So it's another good reason to be in Tampa. And the third is we just had a great weekend already together. I've uh, got to meet with several folks, uh, your shepherds, uh, your minister, and several folks yesterday. And we've just been talking about discipleship, uh, which is something I know you guys have already been involved in. Uh, there was a group from my church came down here a few years ago, uh, something like that. And they were part of, I think what they call it, the Living Color Conference. And ever since they were here, they've come back and they said, John, you, you just got to figure out how to get to Tampa. So I got in touch with uh, Jimmy and uh, Jimmy DeBose and, and I begged him. I said, brother, let me let me just be a part of what you guys are doing down there. And then uh, we had a big Zoom call, and I missed it because <laughs> I was grilling out, and I missed this big Zoom call. So then I had to beg him a second time. Hey, you know what? I know that last time I was just kind of kidding, but this time I'm really serious. Please let me come to Tampa and just, just meet this congregation, and I'm here, and it's wonderful, and it's been everything that it was advertised to me to be. We've talked about discipleship, uh, which is really just evangelism with a little bit of a twist, meaning you're just living life with people and you and the, and the people you're sharing your life with are growing in the image of Jesus together, sharing life. And in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 5, that's exactly what we find Jesus doing. So we're going to jump right into the passage, if I can work the clicker, and here we go. So let's just jump in. If you want to use your Bible, please do that. It'll also be up here on the screen. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret... Well, if you've ever been to Israel, what you already know is they're just talking about the Sea of Galilee, the more familiar name. But what we're seeing in this passage is that Jesus is just out there doing life with people. Um, I got Maybe some of you have had this experience too. I got to go to uh, the Sea of Galilee before. And it's this incredible experience of just be, maybe being out on one of these kind of replica boats where they kind of make it look like you're in the same time as Jesus and you... And you look out and you see the hillside and you realize, you know, I'm looking at the same stuff that Jesus did. I'm breathing the same air that Jesus breathed. And you find yourself in this magical moment and then this guy comes whizzing by. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, kind of the magic's kind of broken there. And so you think, well, I can just look at the other side of the lake. You know, a lot of stories happened over there and then this guy comes whizzing by. And then what you realize is this is just people doing life, you know, in the 21st century, just like they were doing life uh, back when Jesus was on these waters. But it is an incredible thing to be a part of that, because if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you read the Bible differently because you do have all these pictures. But in this story, what we see is Jesus is just with people especially in, in the Gospel of Luke that we're looking at today. And if you, if you then go on to the, the book of Acts, the, the other book written by Luke, this big chunk of the New Testament, what, what you see is the church just continue doing with each other and in their community the things that they saw Jesus doing. So that's what we want to kind of observe this morning and see if there's something that will inspire us to do the same thing. So people were crowding around him and this is the cool part, because they were listening to the Word of God. And we still have the Word of God today. And I want to encourage you guys, because I know you're already there, so I'm just encouraging you in, a, in something that I know that you're already 
uh, you're already there. But the Word of God is living, and it means as much today as it ever did. It's not just a 2,000-year-old book written with a bunch of cool stories in it. The, the Word of God is transformational, and people are still drawn to the Word of God. So as we think about studying the Bible with people, what we realize is Scripture really is the only curriculum we really need. We can come up with all kinds of ways to present it, but the Bible itself is really the only uh, curriculum that we really need. It, it, the congregation I come from, we talk about loving Christ, being very, these are our values, being very specific. You know, you could say love God, but you know, God can be a lot of things for a lot of people. So we love the, the God described in Scripture. We love Christ. We love Scripture, and we want to honor it as living and active today. And we love people because we understand people without Christ, without the Word of God living in them, people are lost. And you know, sometimes we can think as we read through Scripture, you know, here's the, here's the rule book. You know, it's so impressive. You know, this is going to tell me what I can and can't do. But David reminds us in Psalm 19, uh, just some of these adjectives describing what the Word of God is. It's refreshing. It's, it makes us wise. It brings joy. It gives light to our eyes. It helps us understand, um, uh, make sense out of the world. And they are all together true and all, all of His statutes are righteous. The Word of God is not a burden. It's a blessing. So we see Jesus just sharing the Word of God with people, and people are drawn to it, and I think they still are today in the 21st century. People are still looking for answers, and those answers are still found in the Word of God. So he saw a couple of boats by the water. They were left there by the fishermen. Again, he's out in the marketplace just with people, and they were doing their work. They were washing their nets. And so this just reminds us of something we talked about yesterday. And I'm going to move through this quickly because some of us have already looked at this. But what we talk about when we talk about discipleship or helping people grow in the image of Christ, helping people really discover who they are as children of God, people created in the image of God, we use this phrase intentional relational discipleship, meaning do what we do on purpose realizing that God has surrounded each one of you with a unique group of people that you get a chance to be good news for. Um, and the folks that I can be good news for are different than the folks you can be good news for, but God can use us absolutely wherever we are. And as I said yesterday, uh, depending on where you are, God may not have gotten you there, but he can sure use you while you are there. And so we talk about taking those casual relationships that all of us have in our life. Maybe it's the person that waited on us at McDonald's this morning. Maybe it's the waiter or waitress in a restaurant. Maybe it's just that person that I just passed by every day of the week. I have casual relationships with these people, and I may say hello. But because I'm being intentional, because I'm being intentional, I try to take those casual relationships and make them meaningful just by learning a little bit about another person. Again, I'm interested in them just because they're people, and, and I'm always interested in everybody's story, but I'm really being intentional about trying to create a disciple-making moment. So I, I take a casual relationship, and I try to help that turn that into a meaningful relationship. Boom! Can we do the next one? I can't seem to pull it off. Oh, I'm starting over every time on these slides, aren't I? All right, and then when you take a meaningful relationship and you try to create a spiritual opportunity and maybe this is hey can I pray for you about that maybe you learn something about somebody and you say you know what 
I want to pray for you about that. And I want to encourage you that it's nice to say, I'll be praying for you about that. And it's another thing to say, let's pray about it right now. I think that's a cool culture to kind of create that just says, you know what, let's just stop what we're doing. Let's just pray about that together right now in this moment. It's neat to do that with each other here at church. Like if somebody shares, hey, so-and-so's got this situation, so-and-so's got this situation. Instead of us saying, let's pray about that like tonight when I go to bed or whatever, let's just say, let's just stop and pray about it together. And I think it's really encouraging for each other and really encouraging for people in your community that God has surrounded you with. And once you've become kind of that chaplain of the of the relationship that you're in, you've moved it from casual to meaningful to spiritual, then you have a disciple-making opportunity where you can say, you know what, I'd like to, I have a group of folks, we study the Bible every Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, we'd love to have you come join us. It's a great group of guys, you'd love to meet them, uh, why don't you come join them? Anyway, that's just a little strategy for mirroring what we see Jesus doing in Luke chapter 5 of taking casual relationships and intentionally creating disciple-making opportunities. So what does Jesus do? He gets into one of these boats, the one that's belonging to Simon Peter, and he asks him to put out a little bit from the shore. Now, as you kind of just fly through the scripture, you're wondering, you know, it's kind of presumptuous of him to just take this boat, right? I mean, you know, it's not his boat. And he's just like, all right, I'm gonna, Peter, I'm going to hop in your boat, and you're just going to let me. But what we find out as we back up a chapter is that Peter had already healed uh, I'm sorry, Jesus had already healed Peter's mother-in-law, so they already had a relationship with each other. Now, there's no evidence to suggest that Peter was already a believer in what Jesus was about, but this is an example of somebody being engaged in the mission before they're really a believer just because Jesus had already started sharing life with him. And we have people in our life that we can have that same experience with where we can involve them in maybe the good things that we're doing even before they're a believer. So whatever good things you happen to be doing in the community, go ahead and invite just somebody to join you in that. I think that's discipleship, just kind of sharing an experience with another person. Maybe that's a good strategy as well. But again, Jesus had already had a relationship with this guy uh, Peter. And so he says, hey, let me borrow your boat for just a minute. You're watching something cool is about to happen. Then he sat down in the boat and he began to teach the people, which is a very Jewish thing for him to do. I'm standing up here right now and you guys are sitting, but uh, in Jewish tradition, the teacher would go and he would sit in this chair. They called it the seat of Moses. And again, if you ever get to go to Israel, you'll, uh, you'll see um, uh, in, this, in the city of Chorazon, which is another one of the cities right around Galilee, you'll see this seat. And uh, the scripture actually suggests that Jesus sat in the chair that you're looking at, or rather, this is a replica of that chair. The real chair is in the Israeli museum. But um, again, just evidence that Jesus, fully God, fully man, was a real person who sat among people and opened up the word of God to them. And then he tells, uh, uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, I want you to put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And I'm struck by this notion of deep water because it feels like Jesus is inviting Peter to go do something really hard, maybe something that feels a little bit difficult for him. And and I'm struck by the fact that as we think about sharing good news with other people, uh, telling other people about Jesus, sometimes that can be frustrating and feel kind of hard. 
And it's easier to kind of stay in the shallow end and just do the easy stuff. You know, maybe just, you know, the folks that come by church, you know, we'll talk to them about Jesus. But going out into the community and talking to people about Jesus sometimes might feel a bit hard. But it's just a reminder that, you know, God's people are always being sent to go do something. We're awful comfortable where we are, but there is this sense that we are always being sent. You, you guys, I know, are really familiar with the Great Commission. And, you know, it just begins with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus. And so he says, now go and make disciples. And again, there's this idea of make disciples just as you go, as you're living your life. You know, the Old Testament was kind of a come and see thing. It was, hey, come to the temple. And, and meet with God. You know, in the New Testament, we even read of like the Ethiopian eunuch. He's traveled a long way to get to Jerusalem so he can have this experience of meeting with God. But really, Jesus is telling us, no, leave the church building. Go all week long. Tell people uh, what, uh, how much I love them. Tell them what God has done for them through me. So we are a go-and-tell bunch But sometimes we act like it's kind of a come-and-see world. We make it all about Sunday morning. But the challenge for us, I think, this morning, the challenge of discipleship is to go and tell and understand that we are a sent people. But Peter says, you know, Master, we've worked hard all night long, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go let down my nets. And so there's quite a few things in here we could look at. One... He says, we haven't caught a thing, and we've been working hard all night. Maybe you have that experience as you think about evangelism or discipleship or whatever word we want to use. You get a little frustrated. It's just this reminder, kingdom work is really hard sometimes. It really is hard. Um, I had a, a, a preacher I used to work with, uh, his wife, I was kind of having one of those down Sundays, and she said, well, John... Church, church work is not for sissies. I said, well, okay. <laughs> and she was right. Sometimes it feels like you're just running on a treadmill and you're not really getting anywhere. But the truth of the matter is, kingdom work is serious business. And sometimes it's hard. Uh, because people, people kind of, we kind of like the lives that we have. And when we're calling people to be followers of Jesus, we're asking people to make a bunch of changes. But there's a bunch of people out there They've kind of hit that place in their life where they're ready to make a bunch of changes. And that's the people we're praying that God will lead us to. Because maybe sometimes we've just been fishing in in the wrong place. You know, it seems like churches, you know, traditional churches like mine, you know, we're we're all fishing in the same pond that all the other churches are fishing in. And sometimes we forget there's parts of our community that need the kingdom of God to come to that part of the community. And so maybe those are the places, those going out into the deep water, where maybe God is calling all of us to go. Maybe he's challenging you personally right now to, what's that hard place around the community where you just just realize, this isn't right. God wants better for this this part of our community. And I want to be there, and I want to share and be good news for these people. Maybe that's what God is calling all of us to do, to stop fishing in the same place And go fish in places where the kingdom of God is just waiting to come. And God can use you to do it. You know, uh, trust is always the right answer, I think, when we're confronted with with the commands of Jesus. Um, And Peter says, but because you say so, I will. 
The bottom line is, is that God's word always demands a response from people that we might want to share good news with. It also de demands a response from us to say, yes, here am I, God. Here am I. Send me. Use me any way that you want to use me. So because you say so, I, I've been working hard, and it hasn't been working so far, but because you say so, I'm going to give it one more try and then watch and see what God does with that kind of commitment. Because I do think that God rewards our trust. Now I'm going to show you a few pictures. And this is always a dangerous part of, of a message, I think, because as I was reminded by a brother yesterday, nobody likes some other church guy coming in and telling us how to do church. So I'm not doing that. I'm just here to be encouraging. So I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of something that I got to see happen and it's not to say, hey, look how cool this is. It's to say, look what a cool thing God did, you know, just by kind of following this thinking of, here am I, send me, God, just use me however you want or use us however you want. So, uh, and I'll get to that in just a minute. When, when, when Peter answers the call of Jesus, when he did what Jesus called him to do, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Here's a cool thing that God let us see. So this is my church um, a few years ago. We were having a prayer service. So everybody's up kind of milling about and doing a lot of praying and stuff in this picture. And um, we felt like God was calling us to plant a church on the other side of town. Well, we didn't know anything about planting no churches. We've never done that before. You know, we've seen a lot of churches split apart, but we never saw anybody actually plant a church. But so we tried, thought we'd give this a shot because we wanted to make disciples. So we started another church over on the other side of town, and here they go. And so the cool thing that happens when you do something like that is that all the jobs that you have at church all of a sudden have to be duplicated. So all of a sudden now you need two sound guys, you need two song leaders, you need uh, two speakers, you need two uh, folks uh, greeting out, you know, heading up the greeting, you need another person all of a sudden heading up security so what we discovered is every you know we got to duplicate all the jobs and so discipleship is kind of like that it's apprenticeship right so everybody at our church had to start training somebody else to be them somewhere else and so maybe you're teaching a bible class right now uh, one of the things that you could do or way you could approach that is just to say you know what I love teaching this Bible class, but, you know, my legacy is going to be that I taught somebody else how to teach this Bible class or, you know, how to work with these kids or how to, to do this particular ministry. And so that was neat. We got to see that happen. And so we had so much fun with that. We did it in the northern part of our county. And then we went over to the college campus and we started a little thing over there. And this is the part I, I realize that I'm showing you a lot of pictures. And so there's this temptation that I'm, that I'm doing something that I'm not and, and, so I'm, I should move more quickly, I think. I just want y'all to celebrate the cool things that God still does. So we had some Spanish-speaking folks, and so we encouraged that congregation. And because we're in a college town, we had a bunch of Mandarin-speaking folks, so we started a Chinese thing. And again, we don't know how to do any of these things. We felt like God really rewarded that. We got everybody together, and that's everybody together. And it was just a real neat moment over the campus MTSU to just have everybody all in one room, but I will tell you, the singing wasn't even close to as good as what y'all had already this morning. But it was a cool thing to see because here's the point. We didn't know how to do any of those things, but we just kind of said, all right, let's take a shot at it, and we just kept encouraging each other to go make a disciple. Go tell a neighbor about Jesus. Go tell a classmate about Jesus because when you do that, you're just helping people discover 
who God meant them to be from the beginning, to follow Him, to enjoy what you guys are enjoying right now, that great singing, the great fellowship. You know, I know you guys have your uh, 242 uh, uh, approach to discipleship, and it's fantastic because you have all these opportunities to engage with people in a million different ways. So I'm just encouraging every one of you to accept that challenge and make sharing Jesus with somebody else a huge priority in your life because you are surrounded with people that I cannot ever possibly meet and that Tim can ever possibly meet or Randy or anybody the group that God placed around you he's calling you to be good news for them and I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity okay so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them all right so I think that's what today's about I get to come down here because I think we are kindred spirit churches we're we're sister churches in so many different ways more than just in name we're both churches of Christ but but we, we also, I think, share a mission together. And so uh, I just want to invite everybody that in fall of next year, about a little less than a year from now, we're inviting disciple-making churches just to come join us up at, uh, in Murfreesboro. So if you can mark those dates on your calendar. Some of y'all have already been up to Murfreesboro at New Day. Here's the deal. We don't do this conference because we think we know what we're doing. We do this conference because we like inviting other disciple-making churches to come join us so that we can find out what you're doing so we can then tell other people, hey, look at what God's doing in Tampa through the Bay Area Church. Look at what God's doing in this place. Look at what God's doing in this place because I think it's so important that churches be encouraging to each other, especially post-COVID. Y'all know how frustrating it's been for our sister churches as we try to build momentum for, for being what God's called us to be. So I think these kinds of conversations and these kind of moments and maybe this opportunity are great chances for us to be really encouraging to each other as we share kind of tools and resources with each other. And so please, if, if you can, come join us and be a part of that and let us celebrate with you the good things that God is doing here. All right, so when Peter saw all this, he was pretty overwhelmed. That's been my experience in the last few years. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He has this recognition of who he is, kind of like Isaiah did back in Isaiah 6, in that really cool passage where he sees the worship of heaven and he says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord Almighty. And then God does a wonderful thing and he cleanses him of his sin and, and Isaiah's reaction to that is to say, God, here I am. Please send me. So when we become aware of God's presence and what he's doing, we become more aware of who we are, and we have a sense of what he's called us to do. So the encouragement of this morning is really do something in your life so big that only God could have done it. Take a, make a challenge for yourself to do something that you cannot possibly do and that only God can do. And then do that together as a church as well. Just dream a dream together that's so big that there's no way you could have done it, that it had to be God who did it. Um, you know, that was the experience of Peter here as he saw this, uh, this catch that they had for he and all his companions were amazed or astonished at the catch of fish that they had. Um, I used to say, there was a time a few years ago where everybody used the word amazing, like in every sentence. They would say, oh, that's amazing, that's amazing. And I told my kids one time, I said, you can only use the word amazing if you're talking about the grace of God, amazing grace, or Spider-Man. That's the only two ways we're going to use the word amazing. 
But this was astonishing. This was amazing as well. So then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Uh, from now on, you're going to fish for people. What you've just seen me do in your vocation, I'm going to change your vocation, and you're going to be amazed at what we're going to do. So they pull their boats up onto the shore, and they leave everything to follow him. And I'm always amazed at that. You know, sometimes the Bible seems like it moves, like, way too fast. Like, really? In this one little moment, they, they witness this, and they're willing to give up everything? And I just think it's interesting that there's really something going on more than maybe we see on the surface in this story. So let me use the Matthew version of this. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, that's, that's the invitation to us as well, and we could unpack all of that, but um, I want to go a different direction with this. Why did they leave everything and follow Jesus? Well, there's a Jewish thing happening here, with, especially with the young men. At certain ages, they, there were certain things that the young Jewish men would do. And as they grew, you can see their ages. At age 10, they would have need to memorize the Torah. Then they would add a few things to that. And what the rabbis are trying to do, they're trying to find the most exceptional among them and then call them maybe into the priesthood. And so uh, if you were chosen, they would say, come and follow me. Uh, if you weren't, they would say, go and pursue your father's trade. So clearly, we're talking about a bunch of fishermen right now. And so they had not been chosen by the rabbis. So when Jesus comes by and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, what he said is, like a rabbi, I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for you every need. I have chosen you. So drop everything and accept this invitation to come and follow me. And so they did that, and it made perfect sense. So, so James and John's dad, who gets left behind sitting in the boat, He's not wondering, like, really, y'all just left me sitting in the boat to mind the nets? He's realizing my sons were chosen. This Jesus has let me know that my sons are special. And, uh, and so they're going to be with the rabbi. And so in a sense, that's exactly what Jesus has done for each one of us. And then he gives us the opportunity to go and share that good news with everybody else because the truth is he has chosen to redeem this fallen world. He's chosen to redeem broken marriages. He's chosen to redeem broken lives and a million bad decisions. He's chosen to redeem people who are addicted and, and, and seemingly living lost lives with, with no destination. All of them are his children. He has said to every one of those people, come and follow me. And, he, and I think he's wanting to use your voice to say that to someone else. So what would it look like for you to leave everything as these apostles did and follow him? Well, I'm reminded of a story of a fellow named Jason Brown. And maybe you already know this story. I kind of hope you do. If you don't, I hope it's encouraging to you. He, uh, he had played for North Carolina. Uh, he, had, he played all over the offensive line, but at some point he was, he was a center. And he was drafted in the second round or so uh, by the Baltimore Ravens. And he had a nice little career with him. He made it to free agency, and he signed the biggest contract that a center had ever signed in the history of the NFL. So he was the highest-paid center in the league. 
some point he moves on to the, then the St. Louis Rams, and he's ready for his second free agent contract, and he's about to sign for $37.5 million, which is a pretty good paycheck for uh, uh, anybody, uh, but for a center. And he's about to sign, you know, become one of the highest paid interior offensive linemen or centers uh, in the history of the NFL. But instead, he decides to become a farmer. At age 29, he walks, when he's staring at a $37.5 million contract, he says, honey, I think God's calling me to be a farmer. And the reason why is he had a brother who had really given his life uh, serving in the military, and that always inspired him. That his brother was so committed to being a blessing to other people that he was really, he gave up everything to be a blessing to other people. And, and what Jason saw in his life, his, his wife was a dentist, and so they had a good life. And he even said, you know, I'm, I'm living in a mansion. I'm, I'm consuming this world. I don't feel like I'm giving anything to this world. And so he made the decision to become a farmer. There was only one problem. He had never been a farmer before. He literally watched YouTube videos to learn how to farm. And so today he owns a thing called First Fruit Farms. And I encourage y'all to Google this guy. Some of y'all are probably already doing it. There's some great videos. It's just a really inspiring story. You know, I, you think you're, you, I think you're looking at your Bible, but I know you're already Googling this guy. <laughs> anyway, it's an inspiring thing to think. This guy, he wrote a book. It's called Centered, Trading Your Plans uh, for a life of purpose, or a life, somebody, if you're looking it up, just shout it out. Trading your plans for, uh, for basically God's mission for your life is basically what it amounts to. And his family went along with it, and so what happens is every year the community where he lives, um, they know what he's up to, so the whole community will come and help him harvest the first crop. It's like sweet potatoes and things like that, and he lets them keep, keep it, and then they provide all the leftovers to, from that first fruit they provide it to uh, uh, food pantries all around town. And, you know, from then he makes his living in farming. But he did what he set out to do, and it's become an incredible blessing for so, so many people. And so he's given us a story that's incredibly inspiring. So the question becomes, what would it look like for you to leave everything, to answer the call of God? Because the language we use in discipleship, that is he asks all of us to go and make disciples, we say that... that uh, uh, God's, Jesus' final words must become our highest priority. We're the only entity on earth that will make followers of Jesus. People can do a lot of good things for a lot of people, but it's us, the people sitting in this room and in churches all across Tampa and all across the country and all across the world. God's calling us to be his ambassadors, to tell other people who they really are, what God has really done for us. So that's the invitation of this weekend. I hope that I get a chance to be with you guys again in the future as we just kind of think about what does it look like for all of us to answer this wonderful call of Jesus. So we have to remind ourselves how to push the button and that God's word always demands a response from us. So the word this morning is what would it look like for you to use everything you have to be a disciple maker for Jesus. And we can encourage you in that in any way. Folks want to pray for you. If you want to answer this invitation in any way possible, there'll be folks to receive you. Come now as we stand and as we sing.